Hello? Hey, how's it going? Good. It's finally happening. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I'm still happy to be in a blue state, so... <laughs> Yeah. On my silo, like, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just, like, <laughs> it cracks me up that someone who wants conversion therapy to be a thing wants uh, musical theater to be a safe space for him. Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Oh, yeah. Yep, it's a perfect distraction. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's two years from now will be really important. The midterm elections are going to be huge, so we can't have like 46% of people not voting or whatever it was. <laughs> like, come on, guys. Yep. Yeah. Seriously. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm uh I'm studying to be a psychologist. So, I'm like a year away, but <laughs> David Hart's fine. That's fine. That's it. Yep. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think it's better to do that second way where we t t mention one film, talk about it, and then mention a second one and talk about it. Oh no. Oh. Oh no. Oh, oh. It's always when you really need it. Like. <laughs> nice. It's good to have, like, someone who's been on TV and radio before. Like, they can just go. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay, good. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready whenever you are. It's everywhere. Yeah. 
Hi, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I feel like this has been a long time in the making, so I'm glad it finally happened, mainly because of my schedule. Totally my fault. Uh, but uh, as she mentioned, I have a show called Pop Culture Case Study, where we take a look at movies and psychology. So we'll pick a movie, usually related to a new movie that's coming out that week, and then I'll watch the movie and figure out some psychological angle, which is usually pretty easy because psychology is just kind of the study of humans, and there's lots of humans in movies. So, uh, you know, pick a movie, pick a psychological tenant, talk about them both, and that's kind of our episode. Um, And we do two episodes a week, uh, which is crazy. Uh, One old movie and one new movie. Uh, And you can find Pop Culture Case Study on all your podcatchers, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or Google, whatever, whatever their thing is. And you can find me on Twitter at PC Case Study. All right, it's going to happen. <laughs> For once. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. I know. I, I went there years ago. I go to a place called Palo Alto University, and I'm a year away from a PhD, so that might actually be happening. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, most of them are illnesses or diagnoses, but yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty close. I think the one thing you mentioned that's interesting there that's not in a lot of definitions is the the psychosis part of it. Sometimes, most times, people with depression won't have psychosis. Psychosis is usually characterized by um, hallucinations um, or delusions, and uh, but in some cases, you have these. Uh, these uh, hallucinations or you hear voices kind of telling you how awful everything is. So that's the kind of psychosis part. But so that's interesting that that's included in there. That's great. But that's a pretty good broad definition of depression. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great pick. That's a great movie. It was uh, it was on my list. I was I was thinking about picking that one, so I'm glad I didn't. Uh, it's interesting. I, I remember the first time I saw that movie, I was in. I think I was, yeah, I was like a freshman in high school and we had a personal growth class and they showed this movie. And of course, like at 13, I was like, oh, this is so boring. Like, I don't care. Let's move on. And then I watched it again, like 10 years later and was tremendously moved by it. So it's interesting how sometimes you catch things at the right time, but it's really well written, really well acted, amazingly directed by Robert Redford. Um, And especially at that point in his career where he did not have a lot of directorial credits, but yeah, yeah, and it's fantastic, and it's especially I think if you look at it in context of who Mary Tyler Moore was at that point, like what we knew her for, it was not this cold, distant character. So for her to perform that was kind of it was riveting and really impressive. So good choice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. Nice. Um, So when I was making this choice, I wanted to uh, try and find a movie that I felt represented it and it wasn't about death or bereavement because I think that's the most common version we see on screen. It's like someone died and the person is really sad afterwards, which is depression, but there's also like this kind of movement within psychology to kind of separate depression and and bereavement because they are slightly different. Actually, uh, bereavement used to be a part of the depression symptoms and now they've taken it out and made it its own kind of specific thing. So the movie I chose was Little Miss Sunshine, uh, which is, yeah, we have our Steve Carell character who is just like almost catatonic at the beginning of this film um, and feels like a professional and personal failure, has tried to commit suicide. Like I think the first shot he's in, he has his wrist bandaged because he's just come home from the hospital. So he's he's kind of really going through it, right? And the thing I love about this is, one, the portrayal is very... Uh, is very real, his portrayal of depression. And especially, we talked about Mary Tyler Moore, you know, going against type. And talk about going against type here, like fresh off of things like The Office, where we just see him as this kind of comedic force, being in The Office, being in 40-Year-Old Virgin, that kind of thing. So to play this kind of part is is a real stretch for him. And I thought he was wonderful. But the thing I really like about it is something that doesn't get talked about a lot is people with depression, we think like, oh, give them drugs, give them therapy, and those things can help. But but what also really helps is being around people you like and forcing yourself in some ways to have a good time, you know, and to enjoy yourself. And it's, it's interesting. There's this whole school of therapy that's just about, hey, you know what will help make you feel better? Go do things that make you feel better. Like if you like going to movies, even if you feel like I don't want to right now because I feel sad, you know, it's that fake it till you make it. Like that actually has some, you know, has some validity. If you just go do things you might enjoy, even if it doesn't feel like it right now, it eventually kind of seeps in and you see his mood change throughout the film and he gets slowly better. Like, I don't think he's quote unquote healed by the end of the movie. It's not like he doesn't have sadness in his life anymore, but he is starting to understand kind of what's important and what he can do with his life. So I really like that portrayal. Of course, the whole movie isn't about that. It's this very quirky, you know... 
but that's just one character in it. But I felt like this, this actually shows what depression is like, you know, like, I think you really get that sense of just despair that comes with it. I think that's, that's the interesting thing about depression is sometimes there's a trigger, right? Sometimes there's a death. Sometimes there's a job loss. Sometimes there's the end of a marriage, but sometimes it's, it's neurochemical. And it's not something where you're like, well, if I fix this one thing, I'll be fine. Sometimes there's no reason for it. And you just have to kind of adjust to your life with that depression kind of feels like it's poisoning you. And you have to kind of adjust your life and get better so you can survive. And I think this movie kind of does that a little bit better than most other movies do because we have to, in narrative structure in movies, like, well, there has to be a reason. And unfortunately, sometimes there's not. So I'm really glad that roles like that in Little Miss Sunshine exist. Yep. Yep. It's worth a rewatch. Yeah. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty solid. But one thing I'd like to bring up is there's uh, there's no just anxiety disorder, right? There's like there's a bunch of different ones. There's panic disorder, which where you'll have panic attacks, where you get the sweating, the heart pul- palpitations, this feeling of going crazy, and then you have social anxiety, where your anxiety is just about being in public, um, and then you have. Um, you also have things like OCD, which sometimes gets folded in, uh, to, uh, to anxiety disorders. And then you have something like generalized anxiety disorder, where there's no theme to your anxiety. It's just anxious about a number of things. So there's like, it's a very broad spectrum for sure. Uh, and I think most movies you're going to find a lot about OCD, like, cause that, that's something that's so different and really interesting to us. So lots of different anxiety disorders. Oh, great movie. (laughs) Spotless mind. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Crazy white man, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, and and to me, it's easily Nicolas Cage's best performance of his career. I think it's phenomenal. I mean, it was one of those movies you watch and you're like, I didn't know you had that in you. Like, I don't know where that came. And I like Nicolas Cage, like definitely a lot of ups and downs in that guy's career. But there's some roles he's done that I absolutely love. But this is very different and also a really different role for Meryl Streep. Like, not very often you, you see Meryl Streep doing the things she does in this movie. So an incredibly written movie, too. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, my pick was Punch Drunk Love um, from Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, and it's this movie is incredible to me because it just shows what a great script and a great director can do, even with someone like Adam Sandler. Because Adam Sandler is not a great actor. He's not someone I'm like, oh, I got to rush out to see his next movie. Like most of them are kind of in, you know, he stays in his lane and he, you know, makes a very good living doing it. And this, he really went out of his comfort zone and having a director like Paul Thomas Anderson really helps. And I think this movie gives a great representation of social anxiety disorder. There's tons of scenes with him kind of going to talk to his family or going to talk to a woman he's interested in and the sheer awkwardness. There's this particular scene where he's going over to his family's house for dinner and he opens the door to try to come in maybe three or four times and then just keeps leaving because just the thought of being in public is that like mortifying and paralyzing to him and i think that's something that people who have dealt with people with social anxiety kind of don't get is how bad it can really be like this is this is not just like i'm a little uncomfortable or i'm an introvert and i don't really like being around a lot of people like this is i am mortified that and i'm almost guaranteed to do something that will be so wrong that people will find out how terrible i am and they'll never want me around like it's that level of neurosis that it's just like i can't function this is not a choice i need to not be around people and if i am i need like a surrogate with me i need someone there sometimes literally holding my hand through this process or i will not make it through the night you know it's it's the same thing with panic attacks where you it's not just like oh my heart's racing i feel uncomfortable it's i feel like i'm going to die it's that level of panic. So I think this movie, although it can, it has moments that are lighthearted. I wouldn't go as far as funny, but there are moments that are lighthearted. Uh, it still always maintains its seriousness and treats social anxiety as a real thing and never has a moment where it feels like you're making fun of the main character, which is really easy to do in a lot of movies about mental illness. Make that error and kind of get offensive where it's like, isn't this weird? Isn't this funny the way this person is acting? Like, no, actually, that's that person's experience and it's they're going through something terrible it's an illness we wouldn't like follow some around with a broken leg and they're limping and we're like isn't that hilarious look at that limping person like no that's a real thing yeah exactly like isn't it funny that that person lost all their hair like no not really like that's awful just like it's awful to live with something like social anxiety or clinical depression it's a good one Me neither. Me neither. I would I would highly recommend it. It is not I mean, it is not an Adam Sandler movie at all. It's very clearly a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And the man is, to me, one of the best directors working and he's a must see anytime. So check that one out.
<laughs> yep. Yes, we have. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, I don't know if we diagnose her, but there's, there's some themes there for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good pick. I think you bring up something interesting about uh, narcissism is the idea. I think we we hear that term and we're like, oh, that person must be totally unlikable. Right. And that's not necessarily true. Some narcissists are really, really clever and really charming because if they can be clever and charming, they're going to incite you to say that they're good in some way, which is what they feed on. Right. It's the best possible thing to hear like, oh, I like you so much. I get along with you. You're great. I don't know why other people don't like you. They're just like they're eating that up. You know, I think we have this attitude of like, oh, well, no one would like a narcissist. And that is clearly not true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, th this for me, um, it actually, something you brought up kind of hits on one of my big pet peeves about about talking about mental health and mental illness is that unfortunately, as more information gets out there, it kind of becomes part of the cultural lexicon, right? Like, oh, there's such a narcissist. And being a quote unquote narcissist is different from having narcissistic personality disorder, you know? And it's the same idea that people talk about, oh, that person is psychotic and they mean they're crazy or they're violent. And if a person's a psychotic, it just means that they have hallucinations and delusions. So you get these like these very different definitions and it always, and it irks me because I know about this stuff. I don't know if it would irk me that much if I wasn't in a program like this, but uh, with the internet and with everything we've got going on, it's something we have to deal with. It's this kind of misinformation. You know, if we if we talk about certain disorders, people see as violent and usually they're not. But, you know, that that is what it is. Uh, but this was the easiest choice for me because I've actually done an episode on narcissistic personality disorder. And the movie I chose was Citizen Kane, uh, the, the Orson Welles film. I mean, he's the he's the ultimate narcissist. I mean, I think, you know, just looking at the way he engages with people and the people he keeps in his life. Like he only keeps people in his life that serve him or that tell him how great he is. And when someone tells him he's not great, there's a particular scene where a character leaves him and he loses his mind, like trashes the room. And it goes on for a good 20, 30 seconds of him, of Orson Welles, just destroying this room because he cannot believe someone would disrespect him. 
and someone wouldn't like him. Like he has to be not even just liked, but adored. It's not just like you have to enjoy my company. It's like you have to think I'm the best person in the room at all times. So I think Citizen Kane definitely uh, kind of engages this narcissistic tendency for sure. So that was my pick. <laughs> sure. Mm hmm. Like, uh, is it? <laughs> it definitely holds up. Right. Yeah, I mean, from. Yes. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think there's I think any anybody who wants to truly wants to be a movie star. I think there's some narcissistic tendencies already. Right. You want to be adored. Right. And what better way to do that to, than to be on a 50 foot screen and have everyone look at you and tell you how good you are. Right. So there's a certain amount of narcissism there. But everything I've heard about the guy, like he's uh, more than a little pompous. You know, he thinks he thinks very highly of himself. So I think there's definitely some tendencies there. Like I would never want to diagnose someone I've never met because that's really dangerous. But it would not surprise me in the least least if things came out and you talk to him and all this narcissism came to the front like there's definitely a lot there and it's interesting that he you know like you said he based it on another really famous person and that particular person was very upset about this movie and tried to stop it from being made from from being shown so it's interesting that you would have you know him kind of creating this ugly portrait of a person but then you look at him in his kind of private life and even his public life and you're kind of like you know, there's not that big of a difference <laughs> between the two of you. There's some of that in Orson Welles as well, which maybe is why he's able to bring that out so well in Citizen Kane, is that some of that is buried deep inside him, too. Uh, but I like that you brought up the theater aspect. It's interesting that everyone in that movie, they were not movie stars. They were all theater actors. And I think it really shows. I mean, there's a certain presentational quality to the film. But I think they limit it just enough. And I think you're right. I think the movie definitely holds up. It was well ahead of its time, you know, and I think it still works today. Mm hmm. Hmm. Mm hmm. Right. And a good one. Yeah. Mm hmm. Right. Yep. Right. Very meta. Lots of levels there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
right? Philip Seymour Hoffman, like it's it's a tremendous cast. No. <laughs> Perfect. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a great movie. It's one that I haven't watched in years, but I've watched numerous times and it's, it's incredible. Like I, I don't really, it's one of the few movies with a cast that large that doesn't seem to really have a weak link. Like I think I, I get what you're saying about Matt Damon, but I think you're also right that some of that, some of the reading of Matt Damon's like oh, a little bit uneven is I think it's done on purpose is that he's, he's creating all these characters and being all these different people as you go through the film. And it's just, it's tremendous. I mean, it's uh, Anthony Mangella. Like it's, I think it's, to me, it's easily his best movie. I don't think it's close. Like he also directed the English patient, I believe, which, which is also good, but I don't think it's quite to this level. Like I think the talented Mr. Ripley is a fantastic film. Uh, I went, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So beautifully filmed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to bring up a couple things about um, about uh, sociopaths, about sociopathy. Um, so usually if someone's a sociopath, um, they'll be diagnosed with something called antisocial personality disorder, which is maybe the worst name for it because it makes people think like, oh, you just don't want to talk to people. And that's not that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about they have a disregard for right and wrong. Uh, they lie constantly. They're cynical. They use charm and wit to manipulate they're arrogant. They have lots of problems with the law. They violate violate the rights of other people. They tend to be really impulsive. And but the big one, of course, is the, the lack of empathy. They don't not only like I don't see what's right and wrong, but I don't care what you're going through. That's the real hallmark. So there's these lots of symptoms that go into it. And sometimes it starts in kids. It's it's called conduct disorder usually. And it'll start with like harming pets and harming other kids. And then once they hit 18, it gets bumped up to antisocial personality disorder because we don't ever diagnose someone under the age of 18 with a personality disorder because personality disorders are seen as lifelong. This is not something that can be cured. It can be controlled, but it's not something that's going to change most likely. So things like borderline personality disorder, uh, narcissistic personality disorder, and antisocial are lifelong course. And if you diagnose someone who's 12 with a lifelong course, that doesn't give them a lot of hope for their future. And kids are really changeable. Our brains aren't done forming until we're 25. So you don't want to diagnose someone with tw at 12 with a lifelong disease or disorder. Uh, but the movie, yeah, sure, of course. Uh, but the movie I chose was uh, The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, I mean, he's the, the perfect sociopath. And I think especially I talked about one of the symptoms being that kind of charm and manipulation. And I think to me, I mean, there's lots of scary stuff in Silence of the Lambs. I think it's, to me, it's one of the best movies ever made. Like it's, it's almost perfect, like direction, acting, writing, every, it's phenomenal. Like, like I read the book and I liked the book. Uh, but I love this movie. I think it's it's one of the few 
I think I think we get trapped in this like, oh, the book is always better than the movie. And it's not the case. And I think for me, my experience, most of the time, the book has been better than the movie. But this is not one of those cases. Like, it's just tremendous. But that charm he shows, the way he even the way he first meets Clarice, where, you know, he's standing there behind the glass and he's standing at attention. He's respectful. Right. As if he was hosting a dinner party. You know, and he's very charming. And even despite the awful things, you know, he's done even in subsequent films, like as you watch him recreate this role every time you're like, I I can imagine sitting down and talking to this guy. And that's terrifying, you know, and you do really see that lack of empathy throughout the movie. Like he does a lot of terrible things and there's not a moment of hesitation. It's just like, I have to do this for me doesn't matter if a human life or an animal life or anything else is in my way. This is what I have to do. And he's he's extra scary, I think, because he has uh, I think anytime you have a character in a film who's evil and has knowledge of human psychology, like that's a little terrifying. Like, you know, too much. That's it's not good. So um, and it's interesting because you you look at him in that film and you know that he was a forensic psychologist, which is just a fancy name for a psychologist who works for law enforcement. Right. Um, but you could actually, you could imagine him interacting in that world because he is so professional and so polished. And that's, and that to me is another thing that's extra scary. Someone who has that kind of hiding beneath the surface and you're, you're not going to be aware of it until he's ready for you to be aware of it. And that's terrifying. So the other movie I was thinking about was Gone Girl. That's, that's the other one I was thinking of because she's most definitely a sociopath. But, but I decided to go like, let's go with the classic. Let's go with Silence of the Lambs. So that was my choice. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually am just going to start watching that. That's next on my list. That's. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And the thing I find interesting is that, like, if you want to look at, you know, psychopathy or sociopathy in film, I mean, you're in for a long haul. Like, we're really interested in people that don't have empathy. Like, there's a whole Wikipedia page of movies about about antisocial personality disorder, and it's pages and pages. And I think it's interesting that, especially with personality disorders, we're really interested in that because in film, I think we don't necessarily want to show everyday life. Like a lot of people aren't interested. We want to see something extreme and this is an extreme way to look at things. But, you know, I go back and forth on it because it it can be very damaging, right? Like there's a movie coming out later this year called Split, which is about someone with dissociative identity disorder, which is better known as multiple personality disorder. 
and it looks like they're making them out to be really dangerous, and that's really not the case. So I worry that people without knowledge go into these movies and think like, oh, anyone with this diagnosis is dangerous, or anyone who's been diagnosed with depression is going to try to kill themselves. And that's not necessarily true, so I would just urge people... When you see these things on screen, remember that these are extreme examples and it's not it's not what everybody's going through. There are a lot of people going through depression. And you mentioned like calling and getting a therapist. There's also a uh, a service called Talkspace where if you can't afford a lot of therapy, I think it's like 25 bucks a month or something. You can you can actually text message or Internet message with with therapists and have someone to check in with. So it's a more cost effective. Granted, it's not as great as sitting in the room with someone, but it's something. So if you are having trouble, definitely reach out there. There are services available for you. And, you know, we, you deserve to be around. We want you around, you know, stick through it. It can be really hard, but reach out for help. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very popular right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, you can find my show Pop Culture Case Study on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. I'm also a part of a network called Following Films with another one of your constant guests, uh, Michael Denniston from War Machine vs. War Horse. Uh, and you can uh, – oh, Michael's great. Uh, for once, I won't I won't insult him. I just saved that for my show. Uh, and, but if you want to talk to me on Twitter, I'm very responsive on Twitter. I'm on that site way too much. Uh, so just find me at PC Case Study. Mm. I'm with you. I understand. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's a long one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you had to pick that one. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that definitely fits in. Of course, no problem. Happy to be here. Awesome. Good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. If anything is uh, wrong with the recording on, on my end for you, let me know. Mine's always going. It's always recording as soon as I'm on Skype. So I have a recording of it as well. It's just this, uh, do you have a, a Mac or a PC? It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a Mac or a PC? Yeah. See, I think the one I use is only for Mac. It's called Ecamm Skype Recorder. So, like, as soon as you connect, it's just automatically recording and it splits it for you. I mean, it's great. Uh, I don't know if they have a PC version, but 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it is, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Perfect. Awesome. Good. Right on. All right. Talk to you later. You too.